Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic, featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends 8-16-18 after 131-2020. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto-pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speed after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit and three activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fence Sider with the PH. Hello. Hi, guys. This is Keith, uh, staying in for Kevin tonight and perhaps next week, too, depending on what happens. This is the Finsider podcast. Uh, a couple things that we're going to go over tonight. First of all, the big offensive coordinator hiring this week with the, the Dolphins and seemingly poaching Bill Lazor from the, the grips of the Lions. We still don't know what happened there. We will find out at some point. Uh, we'll go ahead and talk to Duke about uh, Mel Kuyper's mock draft that debuted this week and go over that and talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. Uh, I have a feeling he did not like Kuiper's selection for the Miami Dolphins, but I'll let him tell you more about that. And as always, we have James. Say hello, James. Hello, Keith. That's right. So we're going to be taking your calls tonight. Uh, what is the number? 347-326-9461. I love it. That's it. Never, ever remember that number, and I always want to reel it off during the show. So we'll be taking your guys' calls during this uh <clears throat> I think we're going to do about an hour tonight. I think we'll shoot for that. Uh, we will take your calls. You can come on and talk to us just about anything. Uh, your thoughts about the general manager search, uh, the offensive coordinator hire, uh, the talk about what we're going to do in the draft. I mean, it's all fair game tonight. So uh, I should also introduce Duke. How how rude of me. How's it going? Uh, I'm hanging in there, man. <laughs> I hear that. So we'll start with uh, the biggest news we had this week, which was we we ended Tuesday thinking that Bill Lazor was hired by the Detroit Lions to be their offensive coordinator after they had just uh, put Jim Caldwell in their head coaching position. And then we we get up on Wednesday and we find out that Lazor isn't going to Detroit, he's going to Miami. So I don't know what exactly happened there something. Uh, it's still a little bit hush-hush right now. I don't know if it was just jumping the gun on the media's part. Something had to take place there. But what did you think of the hire? Um, well, first of all, whenever you say Bill Laser, you have to do the finger quotes whenever you say Laser. That's required now. Um, <laughs> but and cricket. anyway, so they. Uh, I, I like the hire. I think you'll I mean, I think he did really well with, with the Philadelphia offense, and, I, and he has the quarterbacks up there. So I think the main thing is just we want someone who can help develop quarterbacks, um, and cause that, that's the main thing. I mean, I think I don't think the offense necessarily this year was um, – I, I don't think the players are bad, and I don't think necessarily the scheme of the West Coast offense is bad. Uh, there were some things that need to be adjusted. I think there were some – obviously the – protection has to hold up better. The running game needs to do better. So this guy's coming from a good offense. Uh, he, he, he did well with Nick Foles. 
and I think he can uh, work well with Ryan Tannehill and uh, develop him from a good quarterback into a, a very good quarterback. Well, it's exciting in that he, he comes from a, a Philadelphia team that pretty much ran a, a West Coast offense on steroids. I mean, if it's funny to think of the West Coast offense as an efficient, really an efficient um, offensive uh, scheme, and Philadelphia had made it more so this year. So we bring that guy in, or we bring in really the guy who did wonders with their quarterback, Nick Foles, whom nobody really had that uh, high expectations for when he came out of Arizona uh, in 2012. So you hope that uh, kind of moving forward and um, looking at uh, his uh, track record with Foles, you assume that he's or you'd like to think that he's going to have a positive effect on our quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, and I believe he will. I mean, I think that the main thing that I want to look for, and you've mentioned this before, uh, both on the podcast and on, on comment from the site, is that Mike Sherman never seemed to be able to put his personnel in the best possible position. Uh, you know, Last season or the season before last, we, we, they, they didn't use Reggie Bush as much as a receiver. Um, they didn't use him out in space as much, where he's very dangerous. This year, uh, you know, we've got Ryan Tannehill, who's a very good quarterback, throwing on the run, who's very athletic. And it was, wasn't until late in the season that they actually started using more um, designed rollouts and using more um, uh, and using more running plays with him. And I'm not a big fan of necessarily the running plays, but I am. But, you know, you've got a guy, I mean, that throw that he had in, against Baltimore on fourth down was just a thing of beauty, and that's the kind of stuff he can do on the run. And they don't use – they didn't use that very much. So what I'm hoping is if Laser can can optimize w- what he has, okay? And, and that's just – if he can if he can do that and get more out of, uh, you know, use, use what he's got a little better, then I think the offense will be fine next year. Uh, we're going to – uh, talk about this a little bit more right now, but we're going to take our first call tonight, and I believe it's uh, Martin. Martin, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How's it going? I'm doing pretty good, man. Good. So what's on your mind? Hey, I was just wondering, um, we have a new offensive coordinator. Uh, in one year, do you think we can approve the uh, offensive line and uh, make Lamar Miller a better uh, weapon? in the backfield as far as the passing game? Well, I mean, not to answer a question with a question, but could our could our overall uh, protection um, be any worse at this point? I, I don't think it can. So you, you, you'd like to think that whether we address this in free agency or we do it we do it through the draft. Got something coming through right now. Um Hey Mark, hey Martin, if you could turn turn off your broadcast on the other end because it's causing an echo, hey that would that would greatly help us. Oh yeah, it's off now. I'm sorry. Oh, that's like the Larry okay. King thing. Turn down, Carlo. Turn down your radio. Yeah, <laughs> turn it down. Okay. Thanks, so, man. Uh, it, it really our offensive line couldn't couldn't get any worse in my opinion. We have one guaranteed starter, and that's at center. So you, right. whether we address this via the draft or a free agency, or both, yeah, it's going to get better next year. Uh, and that's provided we 
we find adequate guys. I mean, there there are a few kind of under the radar draft prospects right now who I think are going to turn out to be very good uh, players on the offensive line, and then you have guys who are starting to gain steam. Your uh, your obvious ones who are um, your Jake Matthews and your Greg Robinsons, and then at um, at guard you have guys like David Yankee who are starting to get some some press now that they're officially in the draft. So uh, I imagine that offensive line is going to be a focal point. For, for the next GM, there's no way he's going to come in and look at 58 sacks on, uh, surrendered in 2013 and be okay with that, especially when he looks at the fact that he's got a quarterback that he wants to keep moving forward. So I'm going to get Duke in on this, but the, absolutely we can fix the – I expect us to do uh, considerable work on the offensive line, both in free agency and the draft. And I think that – I don't think it will be completely rebuilt, but I think we can get – we can get there. We can get to the point where we're not getting our quarterbacks' brains beaten in each and every weekend, which ultimately is a goal for us. And then, like you mentioned with Lamar Miller, yeah, you're looking for guys who are more potent in the run-blocking game because we just don't have that right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think the offensive line will – I think it will be, for the most part, completely rebuilt. I think Pouncey is the one guy you build around. I think McKinney will be brought back at a – one-year cheap deal, um, just kind of an insurance policy, unless they go out in free agency for a guy like Brandon Albert or something like that. And I don't – at this point, I'm kind of I'm kind of mixed with whether I want them to do that or whether I think they're going to do that. I, I, in a way, I do. In a way, I don't. So um, it depends on where they spend – decide to spend their free agent money because I, I was kind of looking at some this week and – while we have a, what seems like a lot of cap space and Donna Ponte can work some magic with the numbers, um, you know, once we start re-signing our own guys like Grime, uh, one of the defensive tackles and all that stuff, we're going to run out of cap space really quick, and we're not going to have the kind of cap space necessary to go after a guy like Albert. So if they make him a priority, we're going to see a loss somewhere else. If they don't sign him, I think they sign McKinney kind of as a backup in case they don't get the guy they're looking for in the draft. Uh, there are some guys that that – um, there probably will be there when we pick in the in the first round, and um, it just depends on what kind of scheme the laser wants to run. If he wants to, you know, if they still want to do the zone block and get these more athletic guys in there, I think we will target some uh, some cheaper free agents to fill in other parts of the offensive line. Um, uh, one guy I mentioned Keith earlier in the week is uh, John Adamoa from uh, Kansas City, who is a good guard. He just got benched because they had somebody else that was better. So um, it's not like he was just a bad player, and he's going to be a free agent. Um, a guy like Roger Saffold from the uh, Rams, who can play right tackle, can even move inside the guard. So, I mean, when you, when you think about it, you've got guys like Nate Garner. You've still got Dallas Thomas, who I think is a guard, not a tackle. Um, you've got guys that can that can be adequate that we don't necessarily have to upgrade or – almost every upgrade but have to replace immediately. Uh, but I think they can find some deals out there in free agency. And I, I expect to, you know, see at least at least two offensive linemen in the draft, if not more. I think the important thing is that we have options. I mean, the Dolphins picked a good year to, to rebuild their offensive line because this is a very, very strong draft class in terms of offensive tackle. And it, it's pretty good at offensive guard, too. So, I mean, if you're going to – if you're going to find a year where you're you're rebuilding your offensive line and you need um, a, a nice 
uh, length of resources in the draft, this would be the year to do it. And not only that, but <clears throat> last year you saw a lot of uh, you saw the tackles move up really high in the draft. Um, the first three of the first four picks, uh, simply because there was just not a lot of um, other positions out there. There wasn't a, a high-profile receiver. There wasn't a high-profile quarterback. Um, and you're not going to have that this year. So the benefit there is you have guys that in last year's draft would have gone in the top five uh, that could fall to where we're drafting near, uh, what is the 19th pick, uh, simply because there are other you know, skill position players out there. So, um, you know, there's going to probably be three to four quarterbacks taken in the first round this year. Um, that's going to cost some guys to drop. So not only are we getting high-quality tackles, but they're going to be pushed down the draft board to where we're going to get a guy that had we been drafting 19th last year, we would have got a lesser prospect than we would be this year. It's going to be interesting to see how all that unfolds, but I'm confident that when the, the process um, has concluded that we'll have added some considerable pieces on the offensive line. It would be nice to add some young pieces, get some get some younger guys moving forward. I realize that isn't always the, the IA, an ideal situation, especially when you're really just looking for protection. Uh, surrounding 38 sacks puts you in the desperate category, I think. Uh, we lost Martin at some point there, but hopefully that, that answered some, some of your your questions that you had. Uh, I One thing he brought up, and I want to touch upon this before we, we kind of you – know, we're all over the place here anyway uh, – the effect that these new offensive linemen are going to have on the running game, because um, while, while I'm I'm right there with a lot of people in uh, my dislike for um, Mike Sherman's play calling this year, one of the big reasons he you see him get away from the run is that clearly the guy just didn't have confidence in the offensive line to get it done. Now, I mean, I understand at times he was getting away from uh, the run game when it appeared to be successful. I don't know what that was all about. But I, I will chalk it up to just a complete lack of confidence in protection up front. Um, it seemed, well, it appeared throughout the season that it seemed like our, our guys were just unable to, to get a push in the running game. I um, mean, you could forget about about them getting into the second level except for Pounds. He excels at that. Uh, it's just a mess. And, I mean, like, you just had a mishmash of guys in there. Sometimes you'd see them playing well, and other times, like, you just weren't getting the sort of run blocking that you need out of five guys on the offensive line. I expect that to to completely change this year. Um, I know you're excited about that, too. You've been talking about running backs a lot. Uh, in addition to getting a bigger running back, which I think we will do in this draft, or perhaps in free agency if uh, we decide to go, to, like, say the Ben Tate route, which you've also been talking about, uh, one way or another, we're going to find a bigger back, and then we're going to find the offensive lineman who can who can open some lanes for him. And I think that the, the running game is going to help out the protection as well because, I mean, teams would know that if they could shut down our running game, that we would just abandon it. And that allows them to tee off on the passing game. And I, I can't remember which game it was. It might have been Buffalo or the Jets there toward the end of the season where um, we would have long yardage, and we ran a couple of draw plays, and they worked. And that, as far as I can remember, those were the first draw plays I've seen all season, or at least the first successful. And so I think that having a better running game, teams are going to have to focus on that now too. They can't just send out, you know, the 
the uh, the pass rushing unit to go out there and be off on Tannehill. And what that's going to do, number one, is we have a quarterback who is very, very good at the play-action passing. I think his pass rating is like 115 or something ridiculous when he uses play-action. Um, so if you have a quarterback that can do that, uh, the reason play-action didn't work a lot last year is simply because nobody really respected the run as much. So if you you can open up that running game and open up the play-action, it keeps teams honest uh, in the pass rush. It's going to help the protection. So really it's you, it, it, getting a better line that can run block and pass protect. I mean, even if there's just slight improvement in both categories, it's actually going to help each other out to the point that we're not going to see the 58 sacks and the you know two points something yards per carry either. Absolutely. You're listening to the Finsider podcast uh, Thursday night. Um, um, usually we're doing that on Friday night. Not this week. We went ahead and moved some stuff around. I'm Keith. This is Duke. James is the producer, as always. He's wearing... Uh, DJ headphones right now as he's going on coordinating this entire show. So uh, getting back to the laser thing for a second. Uh, so on Wednesday, the news comes out. I mean, you, you first get that leak that laser's going to Miami. He's not going to Detroit. Uh, and after the, the initial shock wore off, because several hours reported on Tuesday that that guy was was going to join Jim Caldwell's staff in Detroit. What were your thoughts? Well, I mean, I I was kind of less concerned about the offensive coordinator position than I was the GM search. So I was kind of well, there's some guys out there, and I think you you you'd said uh, you'd texted or something and said you know uh, you know after McAdoo going to the Giants that well we kind of know who we're going to get. And, you know, we didn't know if that was Kubiak or just someone else. And so when it was like, oh, this laser guy's coming back, then it's kind of, well, that, you know, that's cool. I don't I don't think that's necessarily shocked as much as just that, you know, it was kind of one of those, well, the news report, he was going one place and then he didn't. So, but, you know, we've kind of been shifted like that before. So, you know, I, actually, I was kind of one of those, well, I actually want to wait until it's reported on the Dolphins website or something more than just, you know, somebody with a source who, you know, overheard someone in the next bathroom stall say something because that's kind of the way it is these days. So uh, <laughs> once once it went down, I, I was kind of cool with it because I thought, well, you know, you know, we've talked about wanting to build quarterbacks, and the last two head coaches we've had have been offensive line coaches, which is very interesting that we've had bad offensive lines, where they've progressively got worse from 2008 to now, um, with guys who were that's what their strength was. So finally, we bring in a guy who. Who specifically works with quarterbacks, and so you know he he knows he can he can work with with Tannehill. They'll work together to to improve, and that's what we need because I mean it all comes down to it. It's all about the quarterback, and I think we have a franchise caliber quarterback guy that we can build around and can lead this team for years. Uh, we just have to make sure that we can you know get everything right that we need to, and I think that. Uh, Laser is a good pick for that. So once I found out that he was coming in, I, I was excited about it. And, you know, it was kind of interesting that we kind of stole him from Detroit. But, you know, whatever, I'll take it. It's nice when you keep hearing that people people are avoiding the Miami situation and it seems like they're, they're avoiding other situations that come to Miami. I, I kind of get a laugh out of that. There's a question in the thread, where's Kevin at? I don't know. Um... For, from my understanding, he's currently 
looking for the AR-15 that he left in a rental car. I don't know. I don't I know where he was at. Right. Black Ops in North Dakota, so I don't want. Yeah, he's somewhere around here. He didn't want to do the show tonight. Uh, so we got another thing. I'm seeing this a lot. People talking about bringing on Alex Mack, who is the center for the Cleveland Browns. He was a first-round draft pick in uh, 2009 out of, I believe, Cal. Um, it, interesting, very interesting. But what I like most about this is people want to bring in Alex Mack and kick Pouncey over to, I'm assuming, left guard. I keep seeing that people want to move him to guard. I'm just going to go out on him and assume that it's to the left. Uh, which was actually the position Pouncey was projected to dominate at when he came out uh, in 2010, when he came out of Florida. Or, I'm sorry, 2011. His brother came out in 2010. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm curious as to where this Alex Mack stuff is coming from. And um, I'm assuming that the, the reason that we're having Pouncey move is because I think he's a better center than Alex Mack. I think Alex Mack is very good. I think he's a I, – I would consider him a top-shelf center, but I don't know if there's anyone out there who's better than Mike Pouncey, pound for pound right now. So the, I'm intrigued by this. So um, Well, the problem I have with, um, with it is, number one, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, to me, it, it kind of defeats the purpose. You've got a position of strength, and yeah, you're adding a guy, but, you, you know, and, and I, I'll fairly confident that Pouncey would be a great left guard. But, you know, I mean, you can find a left guard just as easy as you could find, move him over, and probably find one a little bit cheaper. Um, so why why upset, you know, what's going on? You know, the guy is obviously, you know, he's, pro, he's a pro bowler this year. Um, could have been a pro bowler since he was a rookie. Uh, why move him over? just to bring in, in my opinion, just another name. I mean, not saying that Alex Mack's bad because it's not, but to me it's kind of, you know, if, if I'm going to spend money on the offensive line, and Alex Mack is going to cost money, um, he's going to cost a huge chunk of cap space, simply because he's a big name uh, and, you know, he's going to command that. Why, why, if you're going to spend that kind of money on the offensive line, put it in the tackles. Because those are higher profile positions. They're higher valued positions. You know, I would rather spend that kind of money or even a little bit more to get a Brandon Albert than kind of mess with the interior by bringing him in. And then, you know, yeah, we have Alex Mack and Mike Pouncey in there, but we still have, you know, uh, Bryant McKinney over at left tackle. You know, I, I'd rather, if I want to spend offensive line money, I'd rather do it getting uh, a group of guys or a, a top-end tackle, not uh, not a center and then moving the center we have. I, I just don't see the point. Yeah, I, I really don't. I'm fascinated by the thought of Pouncey playing guard only because I think that he would dominate any interior line position. I think that he's got the uh, a complete skill set, and I think that he's got a prototypical skill set in in um, several areas, including uh, <clears throat> athleticism, and uh, he's rather large. I think he's about 6'5", if, if I recall right. So I'm fascinated by that, but I don't know. I I wouldn't mess with it. I think the guy's the best center in the game right now. I've said that for a few years. I, I Pro Bowls Pro Bowl voting notwithstanding, I do think he's the best at his position right now. Uh, I, the Brandon Albert thing is fascinating to me too. In that, if we do that, 
then do you think we use a second or third round pick at tackle and we just go best player available at 19? You know, it depends. I mean, we definitely wouldn't use a first round pick on a, on a, a tackle, uh, a left tackle, I should say, if you bring in Brandon out because he's going to be here for at least three years. Um, you know, you don't want to, you know, if you draft a guy like, say, Taylor Juan at 19, you don't want him. You know, you don't want to say, hey, you've been playing left tackle since you're a freshman in college. We're drafting you in the first round. We're going to move you over to right tackle. I mean, guys, you drafted in that range, you move to right tackle. So it's not a not uncommon. But you could easily find a, in my opinion, you can find a right tackle in the second round or even the third round more so than you can uh, the first round. So if you get Brandon Albert, you know, the first, the first round pick is going to be used in my opinion on something else. But if, if – Jeff Ireland were still here, I would think Brandon Albert's almost a lock because he would be it would be another desperation. I need to save my job, so I'm not going to take my chances on a left tackle in the draft. I'm going to get a free agent that I know is good, and I'm going to throw money at him so he will come here. We're going to burn GM, Kansas City a little bit if we end up with Brandon Albert and we didn't give him scratch for yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, which that would be that would be kind of fun, but the um. I think that the new GM will probably um, he will evaluate the situation. I think he might, he or she might decide. You know what? I'm not in danger of losing my job this year, so I'm going to I'm going to find a guy in the draft and and build around use him as a guy I can build on around the offensive line. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if the new GM went went either way on on the tackle position, but I think it's less of a certainty now that Ireland's gone. I mean, with him here, it was almost like you could – that was just one of those moves, you know, kind of like when when the Mike Wallace thing happened, you know. They've got that ridiculous three days of, you know, you can talk to guys, but you can't really sign them, stuff in free agency now. It was kind of almost like, yeah, Mike Wallace is coming here, Mike Wallace is coming here. And so I, I would kind of feel the way about Albert. By now, not so much. Right. Uh, offensive line, a popular topic tonight. Uh, we bring in uh, Luis from somewhere in Florida, I, I reckon. He goes by the Floridian debater. We will call him what we want to call him. Luis, how you doing tonight? I'm doing all right, guys. How about you? Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, what's on your mind? you want to give us your two cents on the offensive line situation moving forward? Uh, yeah. We, uh, we actually, you and I went back and forth on this on Twitter, and uh, – I just wanted to reiterate what I had said before. The way I see the offensive line happening is that we need to we, – if everybody's going to be looking at left tackles, I would rather draft the, the best guard available in the draft, get McKinney as a stopgap at left tackle for one more year, because he wasn't bad this year. He, he came in and kind of stabilized the line when Martin flipped out. We, get a, we draft – a, a tackle who can be a right tackle for what, for at least one season if that's what necessary. And then the next year, because it always seems like there's at least one guy who's like, oh, my gosh, he's an awesome left tackle. So we could try and draft that for the next year. But we, we solidify the guard spot, which has been subpar for who knows how long now, and that would take care of that little issue. And I say McKinney because I don't know if we'll be able to get, like, a Brandon Albert at a decent price. 
and still be able to maintain the free agents that we need to keep, like Grimes and um, Solii and all those other people. Well, I imagine we're going to – well, first of all, I'd imagine we're going to let Starks walk. I haven't seen anything to indicate they were going to keep him. And, of course, I say that, and then we'll probably keep him, just like we thought two years ago that Solii was going to walk, and then he ended up taking the, the hometown deal. The fact that he took the hometown deal the first time tells me that we're we're likely going to stick with him and not Starks. So we'll see some money freed up. I don't know how much Brandon Albert is going to strap us if if we went that route. But let me let me see if I'm, I'm completely clear with you. So suppose you are making the number 19 pick. Are you taking a tackle of the future, or you're just going going for the best player available, or are you interested in taking a, maybe moving back, taking a guard, or are you taking a guard there? Well, according to your mock draft, which I read um, again earlier, you don't even have the what's his name, Tiny Richardson going in the first round. So here's my thinking. If you're right, and I really hope you're right because this could work, if you're right, we could sign, we could draft the best guard available in the whole draft because nobody's looking for guards apparently and then find a way to trade back up into the second round and get tiny. So that way we would have a tackle who was serviceable to begin with anyway and the best guard that was available in the draft. So that takes care of two spots. McKinney can handle one more year at the other position if that's what it comes down to, if we can't land like Albert or Monroe or someone like that. And then all we have to worry about is the right guard position. And if the new uh, offensive line coach has any brains at all, and I'm assuming that Jim Turner's going to get the boot after the scandal report comes out. They'll move Dallas Thomas back to guard where he was supposed to be to begin with. Good call there. I like that. Uh, we Duke keeps reiterating the fact that why are we playing, or, or why are we hoping that Dallas Thomas is going to be a tackle when it's clear that he was a guard. I understand that he played tackle for a little while at Tennessee, and then they moved him inside so they could get Antonio Richardson at left tackle. But I thought he played much better at guard than tackle when he was at Tennessee. Uh, so I'm with you there. If if Antonio Richardson falls out of the first round, it's purely because some guys are some guys have pushed their stock uh, in a in a positive way. You're seeing right now a lot of people are are mocking to us or to Arizona Zach Martin out of uh, Notre Dame, which is interesting because he's going to come in on the shorter side. He's about, I think he's listed about 6'4". His arms are going to be in the 32-inch range. So it's interesting he's getting a lot of looks, and I think it's because in terms of zone blocking scheme, the guy is I mean, a no-brainer. He's outstanding. It's just going to be a matter of are you confident in putting him on the left side, whereas uh, I think most teams would look at him and say, well, I mean, there's an ideal guard. So we'll see how that happens. But you're going to see some guys come up. I think uh, Moses out of Virginia is going to be uh, going to be a focal point for some teams. I mentioned this last Friday that uh, when we were first talking about Laser, that uh, Laser was the offensive coordinator at Virginia from, uh, I think, 2010 to 2012. So, I mean, he's coached uh, Moses and probably knows him better than most of the other people scouting in this draft. So that'll be interesting to see. But, I mean, I, I can't say that you're wrong. I think that uh, looking at the talent coming through this draft, and the only the only thing that gives me pause is we're needy at both tackle spots, and this is a very, very deep offensive tackle draft. 
So part of me thinks if we're going to go ahead and rebuild both spots, and we do need to rebuild both, spot, both spots, is it, is this the year you would do it? And the argument against that, I, I think, would be, well, I mean, there's some outstanding running back talent in the second and third round this year. Uh, there's some receivers we're really into. Um, and one of the tight ends could likely slip to the second round. So it's tough. I mean, you got to be sure on these guys. You can't just take an offensive tackle because you want to take an offensive tackle. I've been accused of that for giving the Dolphins Moses in my in my mock, but I think that he's going to end up shooting right in there. In fact, he reminds me a lot of Brian McKinney, except for the sex escapade. He's probably not as good in terms of party planning, but I like him. I think he's really good. Duke, what do you think? Hello? Hello. Hello? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm kind of in agreement with you in terms of the tackle position. I think guards, while we need guards, I think it is a lower lower value position. And I think there are some guys that you can find in the second, third round this year that will be uh, fairly good guards. Um, and remember, we have a new GM who, you know, everyone always want to talk about how bad Jeff Island was at picking up skill position players. However, I think the problem with him was look at the offensive line that he drafted, and the only two that were really, you know, that great were first-round picks. So, you know, hopefully we'll get a guy who knows how to draft offensive line, and, and when we get a guy in the third round, he won't be so bad. So I'm in agreement that the, the tackle position is the way to go. Uh, but now if we went with a guard in the first round, I wouldn't be um, – I, I would understand that move too, especially if, if McKinney's resigned. Now, the guy that I would like to take in the first round, even though we, we're very needy at the offensive line, is, and, and I mentioned this before, but I would like to see us take Austin Safari and Jenkins. Um, you know, I like Deion Sims. I think Agnew's coming along, but I think he's a complete package of tight end. And I think he's going to be the next really good tight end, and I would like to see Miami kind of – you kind of pair him and Charles Clay up, and uh, he'll be the ultimate red zone threat and give Tannehill some weapons. And so uh, you think I should introduce my, my – uh, my my favorite tackle in this draft. Yeah, uh, we've uh, okay. We've come we've come to an agreement. So. Yeah, we watched we watched tape on this guy. His name is uh, Billy Turner. He is the left tackle from North Dakota oh. State. Oh, and uh, Kyle. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, Billy Turner. If you watch if you watch the tape on him, you, you say really aggressive, really athletic. Uh, long arm left tackle. For someone who plays in the lower division, he is very, uh, very technically sound. There are a few weaknesses in his game, but not as many as you would think for someone at that level. Usually, when you get a guy at that level, you think of a guy like Ben. Um, I don't know how to say his name, Il Jelana or whatever. Um, that uh, Indianapolis drafted, and then a yeah, guy Benjamin Jelana, Ohio State. Um, Daniel Kilgore, who went in the fifth round, who played tackle at Appalachian State, ended up moving into center because he was just a smaller guy. This guy is going to be around a 6'6", 310, 317 range. So he's built like a tackle. He's definitely got the athleticism. He's very aggressive. And um, I think, you know, last year at this time we were saying Lane Johnson could be a good second-round pick for us, and you saw where he went. So I think Billy Johnson could uh, – excuse me, Billy Turner – could slide into the um, slide into the first round with a good senior bowl in combine, but um, if not, he's a guy I think we get in the second round. And if you sign a guy like McKinney, um, 
He's a guy who can learn behind him for a season, maybe even play right uh, tackle, or even take over the starting job um, almost immediately. Uh, and I think I think he could do it. And like I said, we watched tape on this guy, and he he run blocks aggressively, he he, he handles counter moves fairly aggressively, and so. Um, this this is a guy I really like, and I'm gonna be talking up on the slide a lot. Um, so, in my opinion, worst case scenario for this guy, he's an all pro left guard. I mean, you've, we've seen how he gets out on, we've seen how he gets out in front of uh, running plays where he, uh, you know, he's, he's on second level, uh, just blasting guys down the field. So, um, that's the guy I would really like to see us draft. Even if we have to do it in the first round, I, I would be content with that. But I, I think this guy's gonna be. A very good player. Yeah, we watched his we watched his tape a few weeks ago, and there's one against Kansas State. Now Kansas State is not known for their uh, their dominant edge rushers, but we, we were impressed. I mean, really, the only the big knock he's going to have going against him is that he played at North Dakota State. Because I mean, in terms of the zone blocking scheme fit, um, he and Zach Martin are going to be the the best overall fits in that scheme at tackle. Uh, the guy does yeah. everything. And I think he needs to add a little bit of, of size and weight to his lower base. He he's he's very slim left tackle. He's not a he looks more like it's a really big tight end more than a you know, a Jake Long type guy. So I think he's a guy that, you know, you get into the weight room, let him build some strength in his legs. Not to say he doesn't have it, but he just looks like he could stand to be just a little bit uh, a little bit bigger in his in his legs there to to handle some, some um, bull rush. So we, he didn't really the tape we watched. He didn't really we didn't really see a lot of bull rush from Kansas State. Um, we saw some from some of the lower division teams. Those guys aren't as good, obviously. So um, I, I think he's a guy that will probably struggle against the bull rush early in his career. But then would you know once he got a little stronger, would handle that. But yeah, after after watching, I was like, this guy's just a beast. And everything I've read up to now says that he's a pretty much a top seventy-five uh, pick from. The scouts. They're putting him in the kind of the top 75 range. So he's definitely a second to third round guy at this point. He could move even higher. But um, eventually, uh, either Keith and myself will have we'll have a post up about him with some tape that you can watch and just be impressed yourself. Um, it's he's I, I thought he was a phenomenal guy and just especially some of the technical stuff. You know, he wasn't lower division guys usually can get away with with stuff just being superior athletes. This guy had good footwork, good movement, good punch, uh, good stuff that you want to see from the left tackle. So, uh, very positive. All right, Floridian, we're going to let you go and uh, discuss a few things that make, it, make our way through this show before we get completely hung up on the draft stuff that we enjoy. But thanks for following her. All right, no problem. Thank you. All right, take care, bud. Okay, so uh, one thing that we were kind of getting toward before we, we took the call was we've got the offensive coordinator now. We have Laser. What are we going to do with GM? Because you're seeing some lists come out now. Some people, there's like rumors of who's in the top three. Uh, we can assume that Farmer and Xanders are probably going to be in there. And then you're seeing, uh, I, be, uh, then you're, I believe his last name is pronounced Light. Everyone wants to call him Beat. I don't know what that's all about. But uh, so we've got these three guys here, and there's some other late candidates coming up, it seems. But do you have any sense of where this team's going to go with this general manager? Do you think that there's one guy who stands out stands out above the rest in terms of overall fit? Um, 
I'm not entirely sure. I kind of, at this point, um, I think Farmer would be a good candidate. I mean, he seems like he he wants to work with with Philbin uh, and Aponte, and that's kind of the big story. Uh, if you're reading the Stone Riders, is that he, you know, the whole there's that power structure, uh, power structure there where the GM may not, you know, have authority to hire or fire kind of stuff. Um, so you're going to have, I think they're looking for someone that will work with, with those guys. And from what I've read, he seems to be a guy who is uh, excited about their vision of the team. And um, so I, I think I would be happy with him. I, I haven't read much about Vanders, who I'm going to go ahead and coin the name now. He gets signed as general manager as Professor X. So you heard it here first, folks. Um, but um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about him. It's the, I, I have to say that I gravitate right now towards Xanders. It's really hard to get over some of the outstanding drafts he was a part of in Denver and then uh, what he was a part of with Detroit last year. So, And it sounds like both fan bases were quite fond of him and what he brought to the front office. So that's nice. That's something to keep an eye on, and I'd really like to – to further explore that as as we get closer and closer to finding the the right candidate for us, uh, I think that uh, the interesting thing about Farmer is you read his story, and the, it sounds like the guy has the most unbelievable work ethic on the planet. And it sounds like the guy's an animal, literally, you know, uh, from four thirty in the morning to to after dark. I mean, that guy is just crunching tape. He's in there. He's examining everything. Now, he doesn't have a lot of experience with the draft from from ever, from everything I've read. So, I mean, that's something to keep in mind. Whereas it, it sounded like it sounded like Xander's had a uh, a real hand. I mean, he didn't have final say in Denver, and he was under Martin Mayhew in Detroit. But it sounded like he had. I mean, he was a part of some strong, strong uh, draft classes uh, with those two teams. So um, we're going to take calls on this for, the, we'll say, the next five minutes or so. Uh, I think that's fair. And then we're going to move on to a couple of other things that we can sit and laugh at. Numbers 347-326-9461. Give us a call. Let us know your thoughts on the general manager situation, anyone you want to see in there, anyone you don't want to see in there. Uh, whatever the whatever your thoughts were game for it. So is like I just touched on, is there anyone you are f- just flat against in terms of a GM? Like if we bring him in, you're just gonna you're just gonna gag. Um. No, I mean I think most of these guys are that they're going to hire are going to be young and kind of aggressive at uh, at um, at wanting to, to build a team the right way. So. Um. You know, I haven't really looked at all the guys. I mean, I, I think there's a handful out there. And I really – I don't think there's one guy, though, that I would just be like, yeah, I don't really want this guy from the ones that I've read. I think most of them have been fairly um, fairly solid candidates and guys that I, I think that fans would get behind if, 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 we, if we signed him or whatever. Excellent. All right. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting – process as it moves forward. I'm okay with it as long as we can get something in place by the senior bowl. If not, then I'm going to start to break a sweat a little bit. 
I'd like to have some sort of draft strategy going on there. I understand that our draft strategy might be an easy one to construct, considering the the gaping holes we have uh, at certain spots. So it's not going to take a genius to come in and say, "Am I losing Randy Starks? What's what's the deal going on with the offensive line?" Uh, and I mean, and one thing that I neglected to mention earlier is. The free agent market for offensive tackles this spring isn't going to be too shabby. I mean, I I don't know if you you consider them long-term world beaters or anything, but depending on you, if you, I think Orr is uh, going to be out there. Uh, am, am I correct in uh, saying that Monroe is going to be out there too? I think he will be a free agent, whether or not he actually hits the market. Doubtful. I think Baltimore is going to throw money at him. I mean, I don't think you trade for him uh, mid-season and then let him walk, unless you're right. either dumb or just you know don't have any cap space to sign him. I think that he's going to be re-signed in Baltimore. It's interesting that the Ravens currently have two of the tackles from the 2009 draft who haven't turned out to completely suck. And from what I've read, they're willing to let Michael Ower walk. So, you know, they're they're more um, concerned from from what I have read. They're more concerned with getting Monroe under contract than uh, than Ower. So Ower looks like he's going to be a a guy who's going to be out there. Interesting. I probably like him as a fit uh, right tackle. Uh, I don't know how comfortable I I would be with him on the left side. I would would love to get Eugene Monroe. And it's not like Eugene Monroe is like uh, just unbelievable franchise-caliber talent, but I think that I mean he he could come in and keep keep Ryan Tannehill clean, which is the name of the game at this point. So, And, I mean, he's – I think Monroe's right up there with some of the options we're going to see in this draft. So if we're not, we're not getting any calls on the GM thing, apparently you guys are absolutely okay with the search going on, and that's fine. Uh, I'm personally pulling for – uh, Xander's uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, question in the uh, the thread uh, with the candidates at the bowl, regardless, um, they can scout it out, but uh, you would want the guy in there. I mean, the thing is, I mean, if you're if you're out there and you're purely scouting for yourself, I think that's a little bit different than going out there and scouting for your team. So if he's going. If you're going to the Senior Bowl and you're representing the Miami Dolphins, I mean, you can you can bet that you're you're going to be spending a lot of time staring at the, the offensive tackles there, uh, and, as well as you're probably going to be looking at some of the receivers. Uh, and, and one I, thing to point out, let me I'll point out real quick. And Mike Mayock has said this on TV, and this is kind of uh, you you will notice this that what people will miss about the senior bowl in terms of what general managers, if we don't have someone in there, it's not the game. I don't think a lot of GMs, as a matter of fact, I think a lot of them leave before the game. They show up to watch the practice and the drills. That's where you see, uh, you know, that's where you see guys kind of excel or, or stand out. I mean, it was last year, you know, watching some of the, like, for example, the, the lineman drills when Eric Fisher and Lane Johnson went out there and just shut guys down. Like it, like it wasn't anything, uh, and you saw their, you know, stock rise to the point they were within the top four picks. Uh, uh, my my draft favorite from last year, Desmond Truffaut, went out there and was 
absolutely killing it in man-to-man drills. Um, and he went from a, you know, late January guy from a third round all the way up to a first-round pick. So it's, it's these practices more than the game that um, that, that people tend to – that GMs tend to watch. So whoever the GM is, they're going to get – I mean, whoever it is, he can request tape. And he's going to get tape of all the practices, all the games and everything. So it's not a problem of him not seeing people. But it's just kind of, like you said, it's just kind of concerning that he's not actually there watching stuff in person. It's one thing to watch something on tape. It's another thing to get a feel for it when you're actually there watching. Um, And so, you know, hopefully we'll have a guy in place that he can go and, you know, watch for himself and not just have to rely just solely on the tape. Well, it's a timeline thing, too. I mean, you don't you don't want to be without a general manager in a draft strategy when you know late January, early February comes around. Because I mean, the thing is, I mean, then at that point, uh, the combine's within sight, and you'd like to go in there with a a set list of guys you're you're going to have an eye on. So it, it's it, it's all the things we mentioned, and the fact that I mean, in in terms of um, timeline offense, or I should say off season timeline, boy, I am really miss a campaign right now. Uh, it's just a good thing to have, and I am going to get a little bit nervous as the weeks go on if we don't have a, a clear idea of who we're going to move forward with. Um, we can kind of take this conversation and veer it back toward the draft. I want to talk a little bit about Mel Kuyper's debut 2014 mock draft came out on Wednesday, Wednesday morning, and uh, we assumed that he was going to give us an offensive tackle at number 19, and he did. He didn't disappoint there. He disappointed Duke, though, because he mocked Alabama left tackle Cyrus Quanjo to the Dolphins, and Duke, tell us about why you're not a fan. Um. Well, the guy has upside. He has fairly good athleticism for the position. Um. He, I mean, he has he has the look of a guy who can be a good left tackle. Um, number, but first of all, it just seems like in recent years that Alabama guys just have not lived up to their draft expectations for whatever reason. And you know that's not something that you necessarily want to point to. Like, well, he's from Alabama. I'm going to stay away from him because you know that you just can't do that. But at the same time, if, if you kind of see that with, with a group, then it makes you wonder what's going on there. That's causing issues. Then you go back and look at some of his tape, okay, and you watch some of the other guys. Like, like you and I have watched, compared him, we've watched tape on him, we've watched tape on Richardson. And when I look at, when I look at tape of those two guys, I don't see – I see a guy in Richardson that could come in day one, start at left tackle, and do well. I don't see that with Quanjo. Um, then he went out in his bowl game and just absolutely got blistered. Um to the point that people were saying his stock was dropping, even possibly out of the first round. Um, he's probably going to have some good athletic numbers at the combine, which is going to bring his stock back up a little bit. But, you know, in my opinion, if you grasp that guy at 19, I just don't think at this point he's ready to go out there and be a a starting left tackle. And, and, and honestly, at this point, from what I've seen, I would rather have the Billy Turner prospect over Quanjo. That's fair. You see, I didn't think Quanjo had a bad bowl game as a whole. I thought he had a handful of uh, 
disappointing plays, I guess you'd call them. There are a couple where he got caught lunging. It's almost like he, he is so confident in his arm length and his upper body strength that he was he was comfortable with just getting a punch on a guy instead of instead of uh sliding with him and and staying with him. Uh but the the one if you if you came away from that, that sugar bowl watching Quanjo, the the thing that worries you is his uh the struggles he had that night with uh the speed rush. Um it just it, it was something where he just could not really get his feet in front of uh, in front of his guy. It was ridiculous. I mean, the, the, he got caught lunging time and time again, and it was just, I mean, it looked bad. And the thing is, I mean, uh, you're seeing some stuff come out talking about how Quanjo has, uh, I, I saw one comment the other day talking about how he has, like, sandbags for feet. I don't agree with that. I think that there's upside in terms of his feet. I don't think his footwork is very good. But I, I watch the feet, and I don't have a problem with it. And and there are times in I'll, I'll tell you what in in terms of what he would bring uh, immediately from day one uh, our run blocking improves with that guy in there he is an unbelievable run blocker you can see that in that bowl game I mean when he gets out there I mean he makes flush contact uh, so that's something to like too but I agree that I mean a lot of upside with that guy but uh, a lot of work too. I mean, almost to the point where you're looking at sort of a fixer-upper, and is do you have the offensive line coaching to to get that guy straight in terms of instead of just depending on his, his physical gifts and uh, really not moving his feet enough? So that's something to, to and, take into um, consideration. I mean, how would you how would you rank him compared to where Jonathan Martin was going into the 2012 draft? Uh, hands down, I would I would have Quanjo over Martin. Now I, I managed after we drafted Martin, I, I talked myself into him a little bit in that I thought that he would work. I mean, I thought that he had the tools to work in the zone blocking scheme and not get completely exposed. I didn't like the fact that we put him at right tackle. At no point watching that guy at Stanford did I think he was a right tackle. I just didn't think he had the the lower base for it. Uh, and, and not a great punch either. I mean, like he had he had decent active, you know hands in terms of activity at the line, but when you watched him play, and it's really too bad that Martin uh, uh, went down in flames the way he did for us because there are some outstanding Stanford linemen coming out this year, and I think that people are going to look at Stanford and be like, oh, more Jonathan Martin's on the way, and, and I mean that's not the case. But I, I would have Quanjo. I mean, Quanjo's upside completely destroys what Martin had. I would say that Martin didn't have great upside. I thought that Martin's technique at times at Stanford was very good. Um, but w- w- at Stanford, he didn't have as much problem with the speed rush as he did with bull rush. He just didn't have the base thing to hold up. It seemed like the bull, bull rush would come in, and there are a couple of guys he took on. Uh, I think one of them was Brooks Reed. Who was a pass rusher uh, for Arizona, and I mean they would just—I mean they would take the highway right through Jonathan Martin. It was just a complete mess. But I mean, if you're if you're comparing the two, Quanjo, Quanjo's uh, tools and upside are really impressive in my opinion. It's got to—he's got to get better with handling that outside speed rush, though. So, but I mean, we can actually take that question and kick it over to 
in terms of this offensive tackle class. And I'm still of the mind that Quanjo is going to go in the first round. Where would you rank him? Because, I mean, you're not going to put him ahead of uh, Matthews or Greg Robinson. I don't think anyone would do that. And I certainly wouldn't put him in front of Taylor Lewan. If I mean, if you're looking at it, it's kind of one of those situations, kind of like with Ryan Tannehill. If you look at where you expect him to be three or four years from now, you might have him higher. If you're expecting him to come in and be a lockdown left tackle immediately, he's probably going to be a little bit lower. So, I mean, that was the thing with Tannehill. You got a guy that had upside that, yeah, you may, he may not be great immediately, but his, you know, because of his lack of college experience, it would be, a, you know, a little bit of a learning curve to the point where three to four years from his rookie year, he would be, you know, pushing toward that on top of the line quarterback role. And you might see that with Quanjo, where he's a guy that would struggle the first couple of years, but then, you know, with some good instruction and good coaching would move on up there to where he's a higher echelon left tackle. I think the red flag for us is do we have the offensive line coaching to – because I would say that he's kind of like a diamond in the rough. i say if you get those physical tools out of him at a, at a high level, I mean, the guy's a world beater. But I'm not confident when he has the coaching to get that done. So, I mean, do you really want to risk the number 19 pick on a guy like that? Uh, interesting that while Kuiper gave us Quanjo on uh, that same day, Wednesday – NFL.com put out its introductory mocks, and I think they came from uh, Bucky Brooks and, and uh, your fellow uh, or your your hero, Appalachian State alumni, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, came out with with their mocks, and they both gave us Zach Martin, the guy we were talking about, the left tackle for Notre Dame, who's a little bit smaller in stature, but in terms of athleticism, uh, overall technical grasp and polish, I mean the guy the guy's unbelievable. So uh, did you did you catch those by chance? I did not. Uh, I, I almost gave the Dolphins Martin in my mock. I couldn't pull the trigger on it because I don't know how the team's going to view him. Because I think you're gonna it's going to be like when Justin Pugh came out last year and Justin Pugh had short. I think Justin Pugh's arms were like the 31 inch range, which is which is too short for uh, a left tackle. I think 32s is as low as I'll go. But he, I mean, he came out. I mean, Justin Pugh was very good at Syracuse, and then he comes out, uh, and then he has the short arms, and then he ends up winds up. I think uh, he played. I think he did guard and a little bit of right tackle for the Giants. I'm not familiar on that. I'm a little foggy right now. Uh, I don't think that Martin's going to be a Pugh type. I think Martin's got better overall physical tools. I think he's. Gonna, I think he's going to end up having a little bit more arm length, hopefully. And if he does, he's an option for the Dolphins too. And if if he built up enough of uh, of of hype between now and May, I mean, you could very well see him going number nineteen overall. And I keep comparing his measurables to Dwayne Brown, the left tackle of Houston. I'm not saying he is Dwayne Brown, but Dwayne Brown is six four with thirty two and three eight inch arms. And people complained about Jake Long's arm length being. I think he was in the the thirty threes or something. So I mean, for a six-four guy, uh, thirty-two and three-eighths is, is uh, not really uh, numbers you write home about, but just kind of something to, to keep in mind moving forward. 
And he's and if you if you get a chance to watch some tape of him, I mean, he's impressive. He was one of the lone bright spots for Notre Dame in that bowl game against Alabama, that national championship game last year. And I think he took on Adrian Hubbard, who is uh, the edge rusher for Alabama, and Adrian Hubbard's like six six. And I thought that Zach Martin just did a bang up job on that guy. I was impressed. So a little bit of food for thought there. Uh, we're coming up on the, the hour mark right now for the entire podcast. So we're going to take about the next five minutes. Uh, oh, we have a special call coming in. Uh, I didn't even look at the board. Kevin, is this you? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, you, you should have just started talking while while I was on my rant. I was just listening. I'm interested in what you're saying. Eh, I don't think so. I'm uh, actually a little bit under the weather tonight, so I'm having a hard time uh, focusing. Well, so I'm just glad you guys were able to do this since I can't do it this week. So, what were your thoughts on Mel Kuyper's mock since you stole that post from me? <laughs> and I left you the NFL post, but I haven't seen that show up. I'm just mm. saying. Yeah, so, I didn't uh, post anything yesterday. I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think... Um, I don't know that – I don't want to say that Kuiper does that mock, his first mock, simply for clicks because I would like to imagine that he has more integrity than that. Um, but clearly in a year where everybody seems to say Teddy Bridgewater is the first overall pick, to suddenly throw the biggest name of the draft as Johnny Manziel – into that number one overall spot and completely go against what everybody else seems to say, it looks like that mock was made simply to get the clicks. You get hits based on, because everybody's going to hear Manziel number one overall, and they're all going to immediately go to that mock draft. Um, Now, as for the Dolphins, it's, it's almost to this point a consensus that the Dolphins are going with um, – how do you say his name? I mean, not how to say his name. Quanjo? Thank you. I mean, it's almost, it's almost to that point. The Dolphins are – it's a consensus, which is funny because I don't think it is anywhere near a consensus yet. But it just – I think that everybody's just going – okay, which offensive tackles graded graded highest that would still be on the board right there? Okay, done. Next. And they're not actually looking at the tackles themselves because I think that there are other left tackles that will fit Miami's scheme better. Now, I say that with the caveat of maybe they're going to run a different scheme under Laser than they were under Sherman, so I can't for sure say that the scheme would match. But, yeah, I just – Kuiper's first mock, and th- th- I heard this on ESPN Radio, and I can't remember. I want to say it was Dan Levitard talking about it, but that Kuiper puts out 50 mocks, and they change dramatically between Mach 1 and Mach 50. And, it, and, and part of that is I want to keep it interesting. So I'm going to just suddenly switch things up, and I'm going to suddenly give the Rams at number two deciding to take Teddy Bridgewater because that will cause some controversy and some people are going to talk about it. Or 
I'm going to suddenly say that a team um, – what, what random mock draft did I just see where somebody – who was it? Somebody was taking Clowney. I can't remember who it was, though. I can't remember. It was uh-huh. somebody who stacked on the defensive line, but they still took Clowney. Because oh, that was uh, St. Louis. Was it, was it the Rams? It had yeah. to be, right? Because of Chris Long, yeah. Because they have Chris Long and Jake Long. Right. Um, How are we going to stop him? <laughs> there are people that are listening to this show right now that have no idea what that is. I love to explain it him. Actually, I had Clowney going to St. Louis in my first mock, I think. Uh, kind yes, of. I, I, well, you bring up a great. You bring up a great point that the the Manziel thing is, is worthy of eye bleach, in my opinion. Because I went on my lunch break yesterday and I opened that mock and I looked at it and I expected to see, uh, you know, anyone but Manziel in there. And I saw Manziel at the first pick and I I almost spit all my food all over the computer. I'm not even kidding. So. The thing is, Manziel over Bridgewater seems crazy to me. Manziel over over Jadavian Clowney is a crime against humanity. In in no alternate universe should that happen. And I reading reading his reasoning behind it, it was the Manziel. I talked to several executives who have said Manziel is capable of being a top-five pick. So, therefore, he put him as number one. While his concern over Bridgewater is that he's not going to be able to command a huddle and he's not going to be ready to start day one. But are you saying that Manziel is going to be ready to start day one? Because I don't think he is. I, I don't think Manziel is going to be ready to come into the NFL and start day one. If you're going to say Bridgewater isn't, I think the quarterback that is would be the only one at this point that is would be Bortles. And if you're not taking Bridgewater number one overall, I think you're taking Bortles. But for I, I do think that there was some gamesmanship in that pick of Manziel at the top spot. Personally, I hate to draft Manziel because I hate the Texans. That's well, true. That's that's incredibly valid. Oh yeah, Bridgewater. The funny part, the funny part of this is, I was either that morning, I think it was that morning, that James was talking about, could the Texans be pushed into taking Manziel because of the Texas A&M connection down to Houston and the fan base and trying to get the excitement to Houston of having a Texas A&M guy down there. And then that mock draft came out, and it was like, oh, look at that. See, I was on something. I feel like it comes down to two picks. I feel like it comes down to Bridgewater right now or Clowney. I don't see Manziel in that mix. And the funny thing is people people keep harping on Manziel's height. I think now that we're in an era – of Russell Wilson, uh, I don't think his his height of six feet is gonna is gonna be a problem. I think the problem is gonna be his weight because his weight is gonna get compared to Robert Griffin's. I think he is two hundred right. pounds, and people are gonna look at and, him and say like, "Well, Robert Griffin can't stay." I mean, that guy's a freaking pinata. 
each and every week. I yeah. mean, that guy gets the crap beaten out of him. I mean, there's no way he's going to hold up I that think, kind of punishment. I think you're going to have you're going to have the concern of a guy like RG3 coming out now and getting beat up. And I'm not saying that he plays like him. I'm not. I, I he has more talent than him, but when you watch Johnny Manziel running down the sideline and you think of an NFL linebacker or safety coming over there to crush him, think of Pat White. Think of that hit on Pat White on the sideline. That's what I think of when I see Manziel running down the sideline. I just I worry that he could he's gonna get crushed. And maybe he can live up to it. I mean Look at us. We were all concerned that Tannehill was going to get hurt with 58 sacks. And I, I, I said it halfway through the year because it finally dawned on me that, you know what, this is a guy that played wide receiver. He's at least used to getting hit that often. He may not it, – it's different when you're trying to stand up in the pocket versus running and expecting to get hit, whereas the blindside hit behind you crushed you. But at the same time, at least he had that wide receiver background. Manziel's used to getting hit only because he runs, and he's not used to getting hit at the NFL level yet. So I, I, I think that there was gamesmanship there, and if Manziel goes first overall, I think at least Houston probably made a bad choice because they have somebody like Bridgewater or Blake Bortles sitting there on the board. I think Kuyper's, uh his uh, hair dye has officially melted his brain. Uh, can you stay on for a little, little while? Because we've got a couple of guys calling in. I want to get to them. So you want to? I, I, I've got to take off. I've got. I could probably stay like maybe just five more minutes. Okay. But well, I can uh, off. So. Our, uh, well, that's fine. Our uh, old friend, uh, Dolphins fan for life, Lansing, Michigan. You're on the radio. <laughs> I think he confused he? everybody. Hey, how it's, you a, doing? it's a Larry King joke. We've been making them all night. <laughs> Dolphins fans for life, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> hey, buddy, how's it going? It's going all right. Good, uh, talk to us. What's on your mind? You want to talk about free agency? Yeah, um, I had a couple ideas rolling around in my head. I've been pushing them, I guess, throughout the whole what we can call our off season considering we're not in the playoffs but you know everybody knows I've been pushing them involved Joseph but um as far as tackles are concerned I was wondering what you guys thought of well there's two tackles O'Hare Michael O'Hare from Baltimore and Jamarcus Webb um reason why I've been pushing Jamarcus Webb is because He's from Texas A&M University, and the thing that's been his downfall is they've been pushing him into uh, a balanced scheme offensive line-wise, and they haven't been able to quite grasp the concept. But at Texas A&M, they did run that that, um, zone blocking scheme with Sherman, so I'm wondering if maybe he'd be a better fit in there. And being that he wasn't so successful, he could come cheaper, and that would kind of just, like, take away both tackle spots. 
at pretty much what we get for one Eugene Monroe. I um, did see somewhere, and I want to say it was James Walker who wrote it over on ESPN, of five free agents the Dolphins should consider. And, and I, I'm sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to answer before I do have to take off. But uh, the they had five free agents that the Dolphins should consider. And it was, I mean, MJD was on there and um, trying to think of who else. But the, the two offensive linemen were, that were listed were Albert and Michael Orr. And he, he, he pointed out, he said Albert first, and he said the Dolphins could have had him last year, but they didn't want to pull the trigger on the trade, blah, blah, blah. And then he said with Orr that, yes, that's two tackles, but the Dolphins need new tackles. They have to solve the problem. And if you did address it with those two right there, you pretty much solidified your offensive line and you're good to go. And it was an interesting point because – Obviously, Albert's the name that everybody's going to immediately link to Miami because of how close it all seemed like he was here last year. But if you do go get those two tackles of free agency, and the Dolphins have the cap room, theoretically, depending on what else they do, they would have the cap room to be able to go get that if Donna Ponte can work her magic again and keep cap numbers low and um, – it, maybe it does have to take Mike Wallace restructuring his contract, something like that. Bonus is that this is the last year before Tannehill can request a um, renegotiation, and he could hold out after this year because he has to play his first three years of his rookie contract before the renegotiation can happen. So this is the last year that they have him cheap, assuming that he, one, tries to um, – tries to renegotiate, and two, the Dolphins see him as their franchise quarterback in order to keep up with him. So right. you, could see, you could see two free agent tackles pushed like that. But that's my last thought, guys. i got to run. I'm sorry. Uh, keep up the fun show, and uh, thanks for doing this again tonight, and you guys have a good night. Okay. Dolphins fan, Dolphin uh, I'm going to move on to our, our next call to, uh, so we'll move on and then I'll answer your one question, if that's okay. Yeah, that's cool. Um, let me, can I just bring up two more names? Yeah, Jordan sure. Rogers and Brandon Pettigrew. Um, I like Jordan it. Rogers is on um, Tampa Bay's practice squad and Brandon Pettigrew obviously because he's a good blocking tight end with some size to him. Uh, I live in the Chicago area, so you're not going to sell me on Jamarcus Webb. I mean, I, that guy's a disaster. But I love the other names you mentioned. I think that those guys are definitely worth a look, especially if we're in into the the idea of not wasting a, a huge chunk of money in free agency. So, uh, all right, I'm, we're going to move on to our next caller. But uh, thanks for right. calling in, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, hopefully. All right. All right. Thanks. Mm-hmm, no problem. Houston, Texas, you're on the radio. Hey, buddy, thanks for allowing me on the show. I love the show, and I read the Insider every day. Uh, I, I just wanted to say that one of you guys made a made a really great point in that it, for us at this point, it's not really about taking the best left tackle, but rather taking the best left tackle for the system that we're going to run because 
we need somebody that can be effective right now. And as you know, uh, uh, I played in the NFL for a few years, and the learning curve is very broad, you know, from one offense to another. Like someone mentioned the zone blocking versus lead blocking and smash mouth and pulling and all of that stuff. So I think we need to get the best guy available that fits whatever system Lazer is going to bring in. I also think that – go ahead. No, I was going to say I I totally agree. I wanted to ask is uh, do you have anyone in mind? I mean, granted, we don't know what Lazer is going to do, but suppose he sticks with the zone blocking scheme. Uh, Who are you looking at? Well, i got to be honest with you and say I haven't really – looked at it much in terms of the offensive lineman, yet I'm still just getting over being able to talk about the Dolphins because of the last two losses, to be quite quite honest with you. But I I think that, you know, this is a a, a pivotal year for Ryan Tannehill and and, and the coach because, you know, Philbin's been here two years, Ryan's been here two years. But really, after the third year, you should really have your guys. You know what I mean? The people you've had a few off-seasons to make the changes, to draft who you want that fits the system of things that you do. And so I think that we really got to get our guys because I think that Ryan has the ability to be a top-ten quarterback. I I won't necessarily say a top-five quarterback, but I think that he has all the necessary tools to be a top 10 guy. But the more in the NFL, particularly at the quarterback position, the more mediocre you become, you are, the more mediocre you become. And we see a lot of guys who stay in the league for about four or five years and just mediocre because of the systems that they're in. And, 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 you know, with this guy coming in, bringing in some of that Chip Kelly stuff, because I thought we didn't do enough of getting Ryan on the move, some of the zone read stuff, you know, the play action stuff that got him out of the pocket and on the move to really help him be successful at the quarterback. I'm with you. I think that uh, and that's why Mike Sherman isn't, isn't employed in Miami anymore. I thought that he, way too much was left on the table this year. And uh, the stuff that we were really looking for to seem like we weren't really getting enough of in terms of uh, a real lack of run, and I understand that a a big reason for that was the lack of confidence we had in in the guys up front. What did you think of the the laser hire? I I thought it was excellent. But let me me say this to you about what you just said about with with Sherman, because the lack of – the lack of uh, trust in the offensive line to me was the re- main reason why you get him on the move and not let him be standing back there like a statue. I agree. Uh, but I also think that with the hire, I think that, you know, the, the guy has been a couple different places. He's only been up under Chip Kelly for, for a year. And I hope that he's learned some of those nuances of how to get the to get the quarterback moving and to create to create a, a, a place for your playmakers because that's what they were all about. They didn't. Nick Foles was very efficient because he didn't have to make diff, a lot of difficult throws. They got the ball to Lashawn McCoy in space. They got the uh, uh, ball to their receivers in space and really let them make a lot of plays. And I think that we have playmakers on the team. Like for instance. Lamar Miller, you know, for for a lot of people, it's a done deal that he's gone. 
I don't know how anybody could reasonably judge Lamar based on the non-blocking that he received. I mean, you know, the, the run blocking was horrible. But I also thought that he never got a chance in screens and one-on-one situations with running back. He's a heck of an athlete, and I thought that he should have probably caught about 40 passes um, um, to be able to, again, help the quarterback and the offensive line out. And I think that the laser guy will be able to really, you know, do some things offensively to get – Playmakers, the ball. And Agreed. Uh, two things I want to mention and uh, kind of tag on to what you just said. Number one, with with Laser, uh, I can almost guarantee you he's going to get Tannehill on the move. He, there were plays in Philadelphia where he had Foles running, and I've seen exactly. statues run faster than Nick Foles. I mean, so it, it's interesting that they were they were so committed to that that scheme. That, I mean, there were plays where and Nick Foles picked up decent yards. I mean, he had some decent carries. Uh, up there, so that's something to to keep in mind, and I totally agree there. Uh, number two is with Sherman, and as I mentioned earlier, I live in the Chicagoland area, so uh, I was able to see Sherman when he when he coached the Green Bay Packers, and at that time he had a, a unbelievable running back in Alan Green, and he had a very very good offensive line. Not to mention Brett Favre, you know, really just. Not, I wouldn't even say it at Twilight. I mean, he was playing very well in the early 2000s. I just don't think that Mike Sherman knows how to work around a bad offensive line. And right. I mean, like that's I, right. I that's I I realize it's not really fair to criticize a guy when when really you're expecting him to play on one leg. I mean, you know, figuratively in terms of Sherman. But I mean, it's I mean, he got away from the run. I mean, he's a guy who typically he wants to run the ball. When he had Amon Green, I mean, Green Bay ran the ball. I mean, whether you liked it or not, that team, I mean, they were coming. I mean, like, and that offensive line was efficient. Uh, they were consistent. I mean, they blew holes in defenses uh, in terms of running lanes. And so, I mean, Sherman's a guy, like, I've seen uh, with his track record, he wants to run the ball, and I think, like, he was just shell-shocked this year. I don't think he, I don't think he expected the offensive line to kind of cave in on itself the way it did, and I think I mean, he just didn't have an answer. I, I, I would say this. I, I think that if if the one thing that the Dolphins can improve on this year, if we're on making the adjustments at halftime, because we were in all of the games, save New Orleans, which kind of got out of hand early. But we, it just seems like um, in the ball trip, in the in the last two games in particular, we didn't make any adjustments. And then several of the games we won late just because we had players making plays. And it had nothing in, or, or very little in my mind to do with coaches putting players in position to be successful. And I think that that's the thing we, the Dolphins, have to do that hadn't been done in Miami for a long time is taking what you have. You know, you look back at Reggie Bush. I mean, the guy never, you know, didn't catch passes in Miami, and that's almost unheard of and, and almost a, 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 an offense for jail that he didn't catch 40 or 50 balls when he was in Miami. And so I'm glad that we got a guy who's, you know, at least in his last shop, the offense spread around. I mean, look what they did with Riley Cooper, a guy who was, you know, everybody said his career was over and, you know, the team didn't want him. And he ended up being a really big integral part of that offense and made a lot of plays for him. And I, and I think that even when you compare um, – uh, uh, um, 
laser what they did over there. I mean, that was a heck of a job, but that offense taking a guy, Nick Foles, and, and, and the proficiency that he did. It's exciting, too, because you'd like to think that he's going to have more to work with, say, for the running back position. Because, I mean, he's going to have the speedster receiver uh, in Wallace that he had in Deshaun Jackson. You, you mentioned uh, Riley Cooper. He's going to have similar type talents in Brandon Gibson and Hartline. Uh, but, I mean, obviously we don't have a uh, LaShawn McCoy in the backfield. It would be awfully nice if we could find a – and I don't I don't mean to kind of dump on Daniel Thomas, but while I think that Lamar Miller is going to be an asset for us as we improve the offensive line, uh, I'd like to find a bigger kind of sledgehammer back to pair, pair him with. And I, I don't mean this guy – the guy doesn't have to be a 245-pound bruiser, but I'd like a guy who can who can take – uh, take punishment during a game, and with with enough speed to break it open if need be. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Lamar Miller will go into the year as a starter? Oh, that's a good question. Only because uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say yeah, just unless we pick up a guy in free agency. Like if it's a Ben Tate, then no. I think that Ben Tate probably probably gets the tilt over. Well, I, Miller, live, right? I, live, I live in Houston. And so I, I see a lot of Texans, man, and that guy can play football. Now, he's injury-prone, and uh, uh, while he was here, he was in the doghouse a lot over the last three years. So he would play some games, and then, you know, I, I'm not sure what happened in the locker room. It never quite came out, but then he wouldn't get as many touches, uh and, you know, there was always, you know, the whisper that he was in the doghouse again. But that's the only concern that I have about that guy. I mean, when he played, uh, uh, particularly last year, he was just a beast with Arian Foster. Yes. I mean, the, the guy on our site who's who's a big believer in going after Ben Tate, he's a fan of it, is, is Duke, and I think he's still with us. Uh, yep. Duke, do you see it? do you see it happening? Um, I mean, it's a possibility. It, it, I think with him, I mean, it's ultimately going to come down to, I mean, I don't think he's going to get as much money on the free agent market as, as he thinks he is simply because of that injury history. But, um, I mean, he's, I mean, it just depends on how uh, how he feels. I mean, last year we used that platoon system, and I don't know if that was just because that, they really wanted to use a platoon system just to keep the backs fresh or because they just didn't really know what they had. Uh, if you go out and get the guy in free agency, he's going to need to be the main guy and get the bulk of the carry. So if they're, they're happy with that, then I can see them going for that because he seems to have that. Uh, and, again, Sherman's gone now, but, you know, when we would run that stretch play to the left with Daniel Thomas, it always failed except that one time in Pittsburgh. Um, he's the kind of guy that can make something happen out of that. So, if they're still wanting to run plays like that and um, a guy who can can make those cutbacks on the zone runs like that, I think they will go for it. It just depends also on what kind of free agent money they got. I mean, they may decide that, you know, they're, they'll go for a cheaper back, like, say, Garrett Blunt or someone like that, uh, and use the free agent money on the offensive line. So it, it really just depends on that. But I can see how he would be a fit and would be a target for, for the, the guy. Well, one one more question. If if you had to say that we were going to lose Starks or Soli, uh who would you prefer to keep? Oh, Soli. 
I'm sorry, what were you going to say? No, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say that, uh, I mean, Starks is an impressive talent. I mean, he does everything. But, uh, you know, 340, 350-pound guys with that level of health level of athleticism do not grow on trees. Right. I mean, I mean, you've seen teams uh, really fighting tooth and nail in the draft to find guys like that. And I just think that in terms – and the fact that he gave us a – he took less money two years ago to stay with us. So I, I feel like it's in really our best interest and maybe his too to just stick it out. Whereas I think that if worse comes to worse – we can find a guy to fill Stark's role. I mean, we do have Audric in there who brings his own own skill set. He's I wouldn't say he's on Stark's level, but I mean Audric isn't anything to uh thumb right, exactly. your nose at. But what yeah, about you? I I, I, I I I totally agree with you. When when Solion is healthy and playing, he's not quite Vince Wolfer, but pretty dang close to being a guy that can clog up the middle. And, and and I also like the fact what where Vince Wolfolk uh, didn't do, he was able to get some sacks and put a lot of pressure in the run, in the pass game as well. I mean that guy absolutely takes up two blockers and it makes it hard to now double Vernon and um, Vernon and, and, and wait. And and the last thing I'll say is man, we cannot let. Uh, Grimes get out of town, man, under any circumstance. That guy is absolutely a football player. Yeah, he's incredible. I think that that's got, that's got to be one of the, the biggest priorities uh, for the new GM coming in would be uh, re-signing Grimes. And then I would imagine, if I mean, if we let Soli go, I mean, there goes our run defense. Because, I mean, and you're talking about a team where we're – I don't know about you, but I'm not incredibly confident with our linebackers right now. And I mean, if Soli I walks, you couldn't expose those guys more. Disappointed, I mean, he's a, like you said, he's a two-gap beast. Disappointed, and, 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 and both of those guys, man, it almost seemed like Wheeler and Ellaby both were always in chase mode in the passing game, and both of those guys were, you know, touted as being, you know, pretty good in, in, in defensively um, against the pass, man. I, I. I I, I thought that uh, Burnett would have done a better, a much better job uh, uh, here with us and Dansby for that matter. Um, I understood going younger because the defense is younger and you want to try to keep those guys together. But man, both those guys, in my opinion, were were were, were disappointments in their first year with the Dolphins. Yeah, they weren't very good. I mean, I know Kevin's confident that they're going to pick it up in their second year, and uh, I'd like to share his optimism, but I think for that to happen first, we have to sort of play enabler, and I think that starts with re-signing Soleil, because I think Soleil, I mean, if we don't re-sign Soleil, then you're talking about painting yourself in a corner in this draft, because at some point, you're going to try to find a two-gap guy, and then people are going to draw the the um, the obvious lines to, like, Notre Dame's Lewis Nix. Some guy who, you know, a similar player where at 340, 350 pounds, uh, he gives you that two-gap player. I mean, he's a run killer, and he actually can give you something in the pass rush departments too. You know, the the other thing that, that really kind of concerns me is, is Philbin's approach. And I don't mean from a football standpoint, but I mean from, the, from all of the great coaches. You know, some of them have been fiery guys, you know, Dicka and – 
and Harbaugh and, and those guys, and some of them have been, you know, like Dungey and uh, Landry and those guys. But with Philbin, he just seems – I played uh, under Jack Pardee, who was a, a great man. But as the head coach, it was just like blah. You know, does that make sense? Like you didn't know what his niche was to get players to in part play for him, if that makes sense. No, I totally understand. Uh, and I've heard that – that criticism of uh, of party from a from a few people, so uh, that seems to be the, uh, the the thought on him. I think that this is. I mean, you keep hearing that this is going to be a make or break year for Tannehill. I think in more than the obvious sense, it's going to be a make or break year for Philbin because if he wants to be considered an upper echelon head coach, I mean, he's got to get the team to buy in, and I mean, nobody seems to know if he's done that. Yeah, because you know you don't know is he one of those guys. You, you, his demeanor certainly does suggest that he's a fire, fiery guy. I'll put you on the bench and you won't play. And he doesn't seem like to be the happy guy that the players love to play a players coach type of guy. You know he doesn't seem to have a niche where players will buy into. When Jeff Fisher came to Houston when I was there. He was a fiery guy, and everybody said, "Damn that! You know that guy right there. He 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 gets after it. And, you know we we wanted to take on that personality. You know what I mean? And and when Buddy Ryan was there, you know he was the guy who was you know a a, a lot of things, but guys wanted to play for him. And I just don't know if Philbin brings anything that says we're all in this. And y'all got my back, and I got your back." Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a very, very telling season in 2014 with that because, I mean, we're going to have – we're going to see new blooded offensive coordinator. Uh, hopefully we're going to see a rebuild offensive line. And then uh, I want to ask you two questions before we let you go and wrap this show up. Okay. Uh, number, number one is because you brought up the running game. Uh, would you rather find one in free agency or do you think we could find uh, our guy in the draft? You know, I, I think that the, the, I guess the first question is we got to get it right this year. You know, we got to get it right. So I think that if there's a guy in free agency that you think can do it, that gives you everything you need, the explosiveness, the playmaking ability, then we got to get that guy. If not, then – I don't know if you if you if you if you spend the money hoping that it's the right person. You know what I mean? I think Claybo was a hope that it's right. You know, a, a stopgap, if you will. We need people right now that 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 we have a, a, a fair amount of confidence that this guy can get the job done. If he's coming from somewhere else, that he's proven that he can get it done, and not. We hope we can, with us coaching him, he can take it to the next level. If not, then I think you find a college guy who can, who you who you hope. Because I, I would rather at this point hope with the college guy, if we're going to sign a free agent um, and spend the money, we need to know. Okay. Last question. Are you comfortable with taking a left tackle in the first round? Because there are two schools of thought on this, it seems. Some people 
don't like using first-round picks on that position. I really can't rationalize why anyone would think that. But and the other people think that, uh, especially in a draft like this, man, if you if you think you got the right guy, I mean, pull the trigger. I I, I think well here's here's what I think I I think that uh, we have to get. Uh, uh, we have to do both. I think that we have to find a lineman in, in free agency and find one in the draft. Now, where that comes from, if we can get uh, Albert and, and they evaluate him, I didn't get a, a whole lot to see San Fran, and, and I know to see, I mean, Kansas City, to see how he played this year. I'll go look at uh, uh, Pro Football Focus and see what they had him ranked as a tackle this year. But I think that we got to get someone who can come in in free agency or left tackle and probably draft one. Because, again, with the thing that you just said, this is a make-or-break year for everybody, you know, a lot of people in the organization, you know, the quarterback the uh, and the head coach. And, and if, if, if they're successful at their jobs, then we'll all be happy Dolphins fans. I just don't think that you can go into another year Worrying about the left tackle, you just can't, because you know teams are going to bliss us and put pressure on us if, if, until we get the offensive line right. I'm with you. I totally agree. And it's going to be yeah. a very interesting couple of months as we as we uh, solidify the front office and really get this thing going on. So and, Reggie, and one I, more quick. Oh, 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 go ahead. Oh, yeah, go, go ahead. And then well, I, was, I was just going to ask you, what do you think about the right tackle position as well? Well, I, I'm of the mind that we need to replace both tackle tackle spots for sure. Now, how we, we go about addressing that is um, sort of a different situation in that, I mean, do you, do you pursue a guy in free agency like a Michael Orr, or do you just look to rebuild the whole thing? In the draft, so there's there's so guys in the let's, draft say, like, let's say you draft Albert, you you sign Albert, then you then use your first round draft pick on the right tackle. I think you draft a left tackle and play him on the right side, depending on who you get. I understand that uh, the personnel's got to fit, but like suppose suppose like a Taylor Lawan falls to us, a guy from Michigan. Right, I'm comfortable with putting him on the right side and letting him go behind. Uh, go behind Albert, and then uh, and then moving from there. If, if if it's something where we're not we're not looking, because I mean Brandon Albert's been. I think this is going to be. He's been in the league since 2008. So um, that that's one way to look at it. I mean, there are some guys I'm not confident. Like if you draft like a that guy out of Notre Dame, you're not going to put him on the right side. I mean, he should frankly right. he just does not have a the uh, right tackle Mahler type physique to get it done. Right. But there's some there guys out there where you can get away with that, so it depends. I mean, part of me would like to use um, the first round pick on a left tackle, then find maybe like a right tackle in the third round. Uh, and if we feel like trading back, maybe pick up some picks. We can we can use the second round pick on I'm a receiver, uh, a guard. I know fans really wouldn't like a very offensive line heavy first couple of days of the draft, but as long as we can find the offensive line and then find some some guys at running back, whether it's through free agency or the draft, I'm going to feel pretty good about things. When they say MJD, what, what, how much money is he going to be asking for? It's a good question because uh, I want to say he's as old as 
No, he's a year younger than I am, I think, or he's around my age, and I'm going to be 30 this year. So I don't know. I mean, how much money do you pay a running back who's going to be uh, around that age? I, I again, you know, the, we know about running backs now and their shelf life, you know. So I don't think that you pay that that you that you break the bank to get him. I think that you know you know you look at a guy like Arian Foster who was drafted in uh, undrafted free agent. Or, or late round. I want to say it was undrafted, but at the at the most, he was a late round draft pick. And you look around the leagues in Baltimore. Um, you know they have a couple of guys who can run the ball who are late round draft picks and free agent. I think it, I really think that Lamar Miller, you know, with the one two punch with someone else who, as you said, not Danny Thomas. Um, you know he's had his opportunities, but you know another guy back in play, an Ahmad Bradshaw type, not Ahmad Bradshaw, but that type of guy, Donald Brown type of guy in Indianapolis. You know, if we can find that type of guy, you know, I, I think we'll be fine because, again, I think it, my hope is that Laser will do a good job of uh, putting guys in place. One of the things that uh, when I when I stopped playing football, I started coaching college football for a few years, and I got a chance to talk to Mike Hollivack, who was the general manager at the Oilers. And one of the things he told me was that uh, you have to – there are very few 5-2 guys who can do it all. So the key to it is find out what they can do and let them do it. And I think uh, someone made the point that uh, uh, Thomas – running that stretch to the – that's not something that he could do. And so that's a wasted play because he just does not do that well. You know, he's a, you know, straight-up-the-gut type of guy. And when you put him out in space and try to get him to the edge, he may have success, you know, intermittently here and there, but it's not what he does. And so I think it will come down to our, our, our coordinator being able to – put guys in place where they can be successful. And I really think running back is probably the easiest position to do that at. You know, if you're an inside runner, you run the ball inside. If you're outside, you're outside. If you can catch it, then throw it to them. I think that's probably one of the easiest positions to let a guy find his niche in the offense. Oh, man. I agree. Uh, you're going to have to call in some other time and tell us, uh, how long were you with the Oilers? I was there for four years. My first year, I was on the practice squad. I uh, uh, was on the practice squad. My rookie year was the year Buffalo came came back and beat us in the the playoffs. And so I was on the practice squad that year. That cost me about $80,000 because my signing bonus was the playoff money. So however far we got in the playoffs, would have been my signing bonus, and so I had counted that next thirty thousand dollars when we were up thirty-five to three. And <laughs> unfortunately, it never made it to the bank. So I was pretty pissed off about the game, and then riding back thinking I'm only get one playoff check for the uh, game. But then I played the next two years. I played behind Haywood Jeffries, and then. The year that I, I started playing, I tore my knee up again, which I had tore up in college. And so I decided I wanted to walk and be able to play with my children, so I retired. 
you know, when I think of the Houston Oilers, uh, the game that's always going to come up first in my mind, it's not the not the Buffalo game. It'd be uh, uh, the game against Joe Montana the next year. And, oh, man. And I will oh, never, ever forget watching watching Keith Cash throw the football at the Buddy Ryan sign. Hey, did you get a chance to see the 30 for 30? No, I didn't. Man, yeah. it was a it was a complete circus when Buddy got there, man. It was totally out of control, man. Buddy, again, his son was my agent, so I don't speak too bad of Buddy, but man, that guy was a character, man. You talking about, you know, I, you know, when you hear things about divided offenses and teams, that team was totally divided, man. It was offense versus defense. All defense didn't hang out with offense, and so on and so forth, man. It was, it was, it was interesting to be a part of that and see, you know, the dynamics of how a team. Because if you, I don't know if you remember, but the Buffalo year we had eleven Pro Bowlers. The next year we had nine Pro Bowlers. I mean, we had a team full of talent, and. You know, just a lack of leadership and togetherness really cost us a, a chance to do some really big things, man. Well, I remember I was eight, nine, eight, nine years old at the time, and I remember thinking every year, looking at you guys and thinking, well, why can't Houston win at all? That team is loaded. I mean, you had Warren Moon, who was just unbelievable at that point. And I mean, it was just—I mean—that team was a lot of fun to watch. But I mean, I'm always going to think about that—that—that that, that game with the Buddy Ryan sign. I remember I watched that game with my dad. If you ever watched the, uh, do you remember when Kevin Gilbride and uh, Buddy got into the fight? Yeah, and Buddy punched him in the face. Here's a true story. That story—that was uh, 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 didn't just happen on the spur of the moment. As I told you, uh, uh, Buddy. Uh, son, Jim Ryan, was my agent. And he had called me the night before and told me to watch Buddy during the game. And prior to the punch, maybe a two series before, it was third and one, and you know at the running shoot, we threw the ball and we didn't get the first down. And Buddy walked by Kevin and said, you coach like a blank. And Kevin just kind of turned around and said, blank you, and you know, they went on, which I thought was man, because you, you don't think that goes on. And then the next time it happens, Buddy was standing right in front of me, and he said, I'm so blankly blank blank sick of this, and I ain't going for it no more. And he walked up, and if you see the clip of it, I was um, – I was uh, uh, not part of the 53-man roster for that game. So you'll send me standing behind Buddy and Kevin as he throws the punch, looking like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> that's, I mean, you're, that's what, I mean, you had front-row seats for history. That's unbelievable. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, 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 again, Buddy came in the first the first day he got there, talking, you know, we got, it was a running shoot, and he came in the first day talking about the Chuck and Duck. <laughs> yeah, he was a uh-huh. character. But, hey, man, I, I love the show, man. As I said, I read French Diaries every day. I've been a Dolphins fan from Miami originally, and I've been following the Dolphins since since I could uh, watch TV, man. And, um 
I'm glad now we have an outlet to talk and and and, and, and enjoy the Dolphins together. And thank you guys Absolutely. for doing a great job. Thank you for calling in, Reggie, and uh, be sure to, to do so uh, next time. I will regularly. Great, great. Great hearing from you, and have a good night. Take care. Oh, man, so th- that's pretty awesome. Uh, to, it's always cool when you can you can get the inside story on something like that. I remember seeing that at the time uh, when when Buddy Ryan punched Kevin Gilbride in the in the face, and I mean that was pre you know everything going viral and whatnot. So I mean, if you weren't watching the game or you didn't watch NFL prime time that night, you you didn't really know much about it. But I remember seeing it at the time and just thinking like, the Houston Oilers sideline and turn into the WWF or something. So. Pretty awesome. Uh, any, uh, we're coming up on uh, the end of the show here. Uh, we got about a minute left, we'll say. Uh, any other thoughts you want to get out there? Anything on your mind? Uh, yeah, we didn't really get to cover it much, but um, the it all started with Armando and the uh, the uh, oh, man. trade. I forgot all about that. Um, uh. Let me. First of all, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw a couple things out there about this. Go ahead. Number one. I'm sorry? Hey, go ahead, man. Let it, let it rip. Um, I was reading Pro Football Focus, and they they have a post up that uh, says pass rushing productivity, edge rushers. And they list their top ten, their bottom ten. Then they have a little section on the rookies. The, the rookies didn't do very much this year. The highest rated rookie in terms of pass rushing productivity was Deion Jordan. So he was the best pass rusher. What you expect from a guy who was um, chosen third overall. Um, number two, besides just being a complete ludicrous idea, the, the draft, that trade makes no financial sense for the Dolphins. And I've had my over-the-cat pulled up <laughs> since the beginning of the show because I'm not sure when we're going to talk about it. Deion Jordan has the highest um, cap, negative cap hit of all the players that can have a negative cap hit. Um, if we, for example, if we cut Mike Wallace tomorrow, the Dolphins would have to eat $6.55 million in cap space. Um, he cost them that much. Deion Jordan has $12.15 million in cap hit for a uh, negative cap hit for uh, the Dolphins. So if they were to trade him, now I know there's that offset language, and I'm not entirely sure how that would work in that case, but even then, <clears throat> let's say just for the fun of it, if the Dolphins were to trade him, they automatically have to, they automatically lose $12 million off the cap. That's $12 million they don't have anymore that they can't use for any reason whatsoever. Um Looking at Philadelphia, one I think that Kevin had mentioned that they said a first for they wanted Deion Jordan for a first round pick and Jason Peters. Jason Peters has a ten point nearly a ten point three million dollar cap hit. So that trade effectively nets the Dolphins one extra draft pick, <clears throat> which is probably you're looking at, uh, given the the range that would be in, um, just say another uh, two million on the cap. So just for financial reasons alone, that trade itself will cost the Dolphins $24 million in cap space. <laughs> so, yeah, Armando needs to do a little more research before before looking at it. Now, that, now, granted, all he said was Tom Gamble 
was really interested in Deion Jordan, really wanted Deion Jordan, and that they would probably get a call for it. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, the way they do things, they could finagle those numbers to make it where, you know, both teams wouldn't have such a, a cap hit. But it's not happening, and I don't understand why it's a big story. It's not going to happen. I mean, the new GM is going to look at this guy and say, at 6'6", probably by the time the season was around 270 pounds, beast that runs like a gazelle that can cover tight ends, get after the quarterback, and he's going to say, yeah, sure, I'm just going to trade this guy because, you know, whatever. Yeah, that, that's not happening. Just put this story on, on, on in the in the file of crap we should never read again. <laughs> I'm with you. It's, I, I just feel like that, that trade, even if we were dumb enough to go through with it, I mean, that trade is just Lou Brock-level idiocy. I mean, Deion Jordan's got all the upside in the world. I mean, to the fact to the point where you, you read stories about how people are comparing him to Anthony Barr, who's the stud pass rusher coming out this year, and people are like, well, who's better? And you see a consensus um, that while Anthony Barr might have more more overall pools, it said that, I mean, Deion Jordan is as, is as explosive a pass rusher as you're likely to find coming out of the draft. So, I mean, why why are you going to get rid of that guy a, a year after you completely underutilized him? I understand that with his his shoulder rehabilitation and uh, him getting to camp later due to the quarter system. I know that that was a little bit of a setback, but I mean that it like you said, it doesn't make any sense uh, strategically. It doesn't make any sense financially. It's it's dumb. And if you and these people who think we can just trade Deion Jordan for the the number twenty two pick. I mean, that's asinine. And then people are like, well, we'll throw in Jason Peters. That sounds fantastic because that's exactly what I want is a, a left tackle who is injury-prone and has already been in the league, I think, what, 10 years? This is, no thank you. No thanks. Yeah, it's, no. um, it's, it, it, it's, it's dumb. Oh, man. Well, uh, on that on that note, I mean, we've done almost two hours tonight, which is unbelievable. I can't believe that this show had had such life, considering the fact that I'm not feeling well. Uh, I'm absolutely under the weather tonight, but I'm glad it worked out. Uh, James, uh, as always, producer, wearing uh, dive, uh, Beats by Dre headphones, working the, working the board as usual. Uh, and and uh, my uh, radio partner, Chris. So things went pretty well tonight. Uh, I don't have anything else to add. So on behalf of everyone, I'd like to say uh, good night. We'll do this again next week. I'm not sure what night, but we will figure it out. So uh, from the Finsider, have a good night. Good night, gentlemen. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh. 
now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.